You gotta look at the guy next to you. Look into his eyes. Now I think you're gonna see a guy who will go that inch. You're gonna see a guy who will sacrifice himself for this team because he knows when it comes down to it, you're gonna do the same for him. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team. I'm sick and tired of hearing about what a great hockey team the Soviets. Screw This is your time. Now go out there and take it. Film is now in session. Welcome to Film Session, WFUV's weekly roundtable about movies that happen to have sports in them. I'm your host, Chris Carino, and someone hit the projector. Welcome to Film Session. I'm Chris Carino. Uh, we're back with another episode. We're kind of in the heart of March Madness here. We're looking down the barrel of some Final Four games tomorrow. Uh, two great matchups and one of the wackiest Final Fours I think we've ever seen. And we're kind of in the spirit still. Uh, obviously, baseball season's starting. And, you know, I almost feel like sports movies, I think baseball might be the number one just kind of on classics. And obviously, we're going to get to those. That's a long season. But now, while we're in the heart of it, we might as well stay with college basketball. And we're going to uh, dive into one here that we really love. It's one of our all-time favorites as a collective group. And it's the Fab Five about this Michigan Wolverine basketball team with um, a plethora of prospects in the top 55, to be exact. Uh, Fab Five, that's where the name comes from. And uh, it's just basically the story of these five guys in this program, uh, kind of spearheaded by their coach and his associate head coach, which we will get to. But yeah, it's kind of the story of that team, where it went after, kind of uh, what rules they broke, which rules they bended and all that. And it's, uh, it's absolutely fantastic. We'll dive all the way into it but for now uh david tominelli on my left will grant on my right and uh dave how you doing today i'm chilling you know it's a little bit uh, i'm a little bit tired to be honest to friday that it's one of those weeks that's kind of felt like a series of uh increasingly more anxiety driven mondays that's how i describe this week but you know we're here it's you know uh, an afternoon on a friday I we're can't here we're, we are here i can't complain well, Grant, second week in a row, we're doing college basketball, and as Mr. College Basketball of WFUV, the A-host of Storm the Court, uh, give it a uh, listen if you haven't, uh, what are you kind of feeling? Are you feeling that the uh, attention of the sports world is on the Final Four, or are you feeling that the quirkiness of this Final Four is maybe deriving some eyes from the actual event? Yeah, I think there's definitely a case to be made about the fact that there's no blue bloods in there. Um, not a lot of SDSU alumni or FAU alumni I'm seeing on the uh, on the interweb that are going crazy. But typically, when you get Villanova, Duke, UNC teams like that, like we saw last year, it's it's a lot more sparked up with excitement and anticipation for that Saturday and Monday. But right now, it just seems like everyone's eyes are on baseball. But I'm glad that we're uh, reverting back to college basketball and talking about the Fab Five today. 
Yeah, this is this is really this is one of those um, documentaries that really taught me what the game really was, and kind of was a big part in my love story that I've had for basketball my entire life. And I feel like this is one of those first teams that really showed me what selfless basketball is in a lot of ways. Because I feel like they were really just five friends who didn't want to do anything else except win, and they didn't care how they did it, who got the credit. They really just wanted to go out there and hoop and really just come out victorious. And that was the only goal from the beginning of year one till the end of year two was just to get the win and I really love that the selfless basketball is beautiful shown throughout and uh, just kind of reverting back to the beginning here as we pull back um, Dave as we kind of look at the upbringing of Jalen Rose and Chris Weber obviously in the same city but the upbringing is completely different how do you feel and what kind of characteristics do you think these two um, I would say picked up or gained from the environment that they were in growing up as it's seen in the documentary to start it off well, I mean, I think that's a pretty deep question, first of all. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, yeah, thank you. I think that Jalen Rose and Chris Webber, I think it's a perfect perfect example of kind of uh, differing backgrounds. But then again, like at, like you, at their core, they are, you know, I think, uh, yin, yin, yin and yang. I mean, I think you're looking at Jalen Rose, and I think you're looking at a very talented, you know, 6'6 six, six point guard, Chris Webber down low. He's an athletic freak. He went on, both went on to have great athletic careers. And I, I really loved how they kind of, they juxtapose uh, position each uh, each player's upbringing, and I really think that was a really important kind of sprinkle in the documentary. But also, there is kind of that I hate to say there is kind of that feeling if Chris Webber doesn't do you know he didn't do the documentary, he was not in the documentary. It's forever been something that you know was kind of uh, in the shadows of this documentary. Why isn't Chris Webber in this documentary? Kind of the best player of the Fab Five. Why isn't he here? You know what is he doing? And I think it kind of just shows you, you know, maybe a little bit of that Chris Webber arrogance, that fact that, you know, he's trying to be somebody who he's not. He's kind of a chameleon in a little bit of ways. But uh, I think the documentary did a great job of capturing that. Yeah. And as kind of that unfolded and they kind of eventually kind of made their ways toward Michigan and made their ways toward committing to Michigan, it kind of all came together and it all came toward that Michigan program. And there was a full team there that just won a national championship just a few years before that. And uh, Will, as an uh, like older than us, we're freshmen, we're kind of newly, you know, minted WFUV members. And yeah, Will is 94 years old. So as the elder statesman of film session, how would you feel if these freshmen came in as a proven starter on one of the better teams in the country. I know they lost in the first round of the NIT the year before they all committed, but they had been in the national championship, things like that. How would you feel about a freshman coming in? And do you think you could put that aside, you know, for the sake of winning? First off, uh, I think I share the older statesman title with my boy Andrew in the back. Number two, uh, big Drew. I think that there's, I mean, if you're, if you're a team player and if you're a guy that wants to win, then you're you're willing to to you know sacrifice your time for people that you know are going to gel better and effectively win. You see that a lot in the NBA. You see these six men who can go start on any other team, but they say, you know what, I'm better coming off the bench. I'm better energy coming off the bench. Everyone gels better when they're starting in that five-man rotation at the beginning. Coach knows what's best. Um, if they didn't end up going to the Final Four, what was it, two years straight, then I'd be pretty pissed, but... I think uh, the ends justify the means in this situation, and screw it. They made history. It was pretty pretty freaking cool. 
I, I, I think that is an interesting way to look at it, but I feel like another way to look at it is that the five guys in the Fab Five, Ray Jackson, Jimmy King, Juwan Howard, Jalen Rose, and Chris Webber, all had the luxury of playing for the win and being able to do that because of how much media and mm-hmm. attention they were getting. But for these guys that needed the attention and needed the eyes on them to maybe make careers out of it, I think there's almost, like, if, it, if it's getting in the way of their money and how they provide for their families, right. I think that can obviously kind of build up frustration in them. The and to, and to build on that too, the the fact that back then and even I believe it was like three or four years ago, you'd have to transfer and sit a year. So the the temptation to transfer was oh was always back then just so much harder because you knew that you couldn't you'd lose a year of eligibility basically. So uh, um, you know it's tough for those guys that were probably working their ass off for three years before they came in and then they get their jobs stolen. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you, this is better for the program. This is better for the school. This is better for the future of the program. So, I, I like I said, and, and justify the means. So I think this, I, I wouldn't be pissed if I was a senior coming in. Dude, yeah. that's so, if I was a senior coming in and the Fab Bible came in, I would be completely ticked. You'd be pissed? Yes. Okay. Because on well, a, if you weren't better than them, you should you, you should just go. Uh, you should just queen their jocks. I would be mad. No, I but would on be a, mad. But on a, yeah, on an individual level, I can't obviously argue with at a program level. I mean, back to back Final Fours. I mean, wow, mm-hmm. that's such a phenomenal accomplishment. But as an individual basketball player sitting there sta- saying, "I put three years of endless work and my whole entire life into this program," and Steve Fisher. Well, they should be better. Well, I mean, will not anybody? Not everybody has like that skill, like you, to just get everything that you can. And because of how skilled they were, they had the luxury of being able to be innocently competitive and just be able to try and win. So then they're getting praised for how selfless they are when these guys behind them are really just trying to like provide for themselves, and they're looking at it like all these guys are getting praised for this as I'm sitting behind them. That's another thing that's interesting. I always compare in this documentary. I've watched it numerous times throughout my life. and it's always so interesting to look kind of in their eyes, the players, year one versus year two. In year one, you got the sense that there was this innocence, ignorance. Oh, my God, we're just going out and we're playing. We're playing against Duke. We're playing against Kansas. And then, oh, my God, it's year two. And, and they even mentioned this in the documentary. They were they were the uh, they were the the image and likeless likeless deal before the deal happened in the first place. They might be the first ever. So like they probably establish. were ten point four million dollars made for the for Michigan. I athletics. think I think Miami football was first, and then Michigan mm-hmm. carried that. But in basketball, cultural at that level, the yes. pop culture influence, the everything shorts, was about it. All of that, all about the black it, the socks, socks, the shoes. Yeah. It's all you know the shaved heads. It's all really interesting to see something from the outside, but also I couldn't help but feel mad at the system per se because as they entered their second year you saw kind of the sadness on their faces as they I, I did feel even as the audience member kind of like they were being used I was like why are you guys doing this they were selling boys, shoes Juwan that said Jimmy. the fab five Nike shoes and they weren't mm-hmm. getting a dime like how does that like that doesn't eating pizza Stocking up money to go to Taco Bell. Oh, they're college yeah, kids. Great. They oh, don't deserve rights. Lord. Like it's insane. And then they, and then the, you know, listen, all, language is all relative, but the 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 fools up top that say that Steve Fisher and Chris Weber need to acknowledge the mistakes that they made. Uh, that's that's absolute bull. I mean, they're, they're with hindsight, they made no mistakes. Th- they made absolutely. Yeah, they they literally. It's like getting uh, arrested five years ago for smoking a joint in public. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's like w- what do you expect them to do when you're put in these situations? And now you're sitting here, you know, making money off of them. That you're exploiting these kids, these children, off of a, a basketball children. game. Uh. Like 
children? They're not. They're no, eighteen and nineteen no, years old. Children. You guys disagree with that? Did, did you watch Chris Webber's dunks in that documentary? That is not a child. Did you, <laughs> dude, 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 did <laughs> you see him? Did you see him man. cry to his mom after he called the timeout? Yeah, he is a baby. Yeah, no, nah, he's a baby. He's not a child. No, but that's what I'm saying. All the, the people seem to Bro, forget. LeBron and as we enter the final four, as we enter, as that's what I'm saying. As we enter the final four, everybody. I don't care if you're 19 or or 25 nowadays. You know, people that are 35 are playing in the NCAA tournament, but um, <laughs> they were playing Christian Leitner in the Final Four, the age we are exactly right now. Yeah, and, and that that's and I couldn't play me, him right now. I, I couldn't I couldn't lace him up and play against. But just, I, that's a crazy way to think about but it. But the emotional the emotional toll that they probably took and all the letters that they were getting, everything that was on that was terrible. Their plate on their shoulders. It's absolutely unbelievable that they don't get more credit looking back in the landscape from the mental aspect of the game. Because Jalen, like Jalen Rose said, there's the physical aspect and then there's the mental aspect. The mental aspect is a big part of the game. And Will, how do you feel about Weber not being there? Um, let me just first... Uh, I, I want to get something off my chest. The, yeah, the, yeah. the first NIL team was the 1978-79 Boston College Eagles. Um, the point shaving scandal. They made a ton of money, but shout out to them. Yeah, shout out to them. They they were real innovators in the sport. Get but, your bread. Uh, get your bread. But the fact that Chris Weber didn't want to participate in the uh, documentary is that what you're asking about? I think it's fine. I think it's he seems like like you said a bit of a baby, very embarrassed over the situation that happened. But at the end of the day. He has to realize that it's like, okay, it happened. You faced your repercussions. You got your banner taken down. You ruined your legacy. Like, what's the worst that's going to happen if you go on and chime in about it with the rest of your teammates? You kind of just seem like a little punk, that, uh, yeah. explicit. That's the only thing that made it look bad, the fact that he was the only one that didn't participate in the documentary. Right, but was, you knew that at the end when it's like the timeout, and it's like, The silence oh, okay, echoes guiltiness. But then, or then also, the, the not, well, excuse horrible. me, not the timeout. It's more about the, the break, the... I NCAA think the ad, the absenceness, yeah. the the him being absent just screams guiltiness to me, yeah. of just being not correct in the situation emotionally, just everything like the way he's treated yeah. them is just not correct, and especially Jalen Rose. I but you know what, Jalen Rose, for people that don't know, Jalen Rose had a huge influence on this project. I mean, this was his project. He wanted to make a documentary about the five five. It's kind of, uh, you know, I think hypocritical for him to sit here and paint the picture that it was Chris Webber. Chris, Chris Webber is really at the helm of all this. He's the guy that steers But the I ship. don't think that's true. I don't think he paints I, him in that bad. Of, I don't think he, it, he's even painted in a terrible light here. I think it's just shown. It, like, the worst parts of him being portrayed in this is just what's being shown. But people, what people are trying to convince and convey in, like, talking shots and stuff is all kind things. Jalen Rose was portrayed in my opinion as a kid who his father let whose father he never met his yes. biological father he did you know he he grew or 42 uh, he, in high school he grew up in detroit you know yeah that kind of like you know f you to your father you know i'm better than you that extra motivation that he needed uh the trash talking you know the crack house crack house game which ah, is which I, I think was the my, my favorite moment moment of the documentary it's by hard far. It's so hard but you know the thing is that i think that jalen rose wanted to paint himself in a picture that he was seen rising above. He was getting out of the you know the the rough Detroit area. Chris Webber, on the other hand, he I think he wanted to paint the picture that this is a guy that was kind of handed at stuff that was kind of put in the position to do this, all rightfully so. But I think he didn't stay true to his roots, and I think that's a very important part in this documentary talking about roots, roots of what all this is. The Fab Five. What was at the and, core of this phenomenon? And Jalen alludes to that. Chris is jealous of the tough guy upbringing that comes with what right. Jalen had to go through. Which is a valid point. And yeah, and I think he thinks that Chris wasn't 
able to be comfortable in his own skin because people thought of him as soft and things like that because of the nice environment that was around him at Country Day School yeah. in Detroit. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I mean, when we look at it, I mean, who's cooler? Jalen Rose is obviously cooler in high school. Not you know, now. Like, I, I still think Jalen Rose is cool. Jalen Rose is pretty cool. I don't like Chris Webber. I just never have. Jalen Rose, have you guys listened to uh, All the Smoke? He went on it one time, and it was, he's like actually such a chill dude. Yeah, I like it. I've he's seen it. I know you're talking about And Jalen and Jacoby's really good, too. He, get dressed, he gets dressed in the dark every single day. Yeah, and he has the greatest oh. lineup of all time. Jalen Rose. Does he? He does have a great lineup, I will say Like, that. one of the best. Shout yeah. out to Jalen Rose. Shout out to Jalen Rose. Come on the pod, bro. Yeah, go on the phone. But yeah, I wanted to discuss this before we kind of just this dissolves into just us having fun, which which it usually does. I just want to touch on Brian Dutcher. Obviously, is going to be one of the head coaches in this Final Four for San Diego State, who play tomorrow. He was the associate head coach on this team, and maybe one of the people that talked the most in the documentary. It seems like he had immensely close relationships with all five of these guys. And I'm going to ask you guys about Ray Jackson in a minute because him and Jimmy we haven't really touched on a ton, and they don't really get touched on in general. Um, but I just want to say about Brian Dutcher, like that story about him and Coach Fisher going to Jawan Howard's grandmother's funeral yeah. right after he committed, like that was mm-hmm. beautiful. And the kind of relationship that was built on that trip in between year one and year two in Europe and just everything. It just seems like those guys really care for Fisher and for just for the two of them in general. And I feel like they had a lot of good things to say about them when they made the move to San Diego State because obviously it was yeah. in place when the documentary was taking right. place. So yeah. I feel like they're obviously definitely really excited what's going on right now. Um, but yeah, I just want to touch on him really quick. But yeah. back to what I was just saying, um, Dave, you know, they talk a little bit in this one about how Ray Jackson was the fifth wheel of mm-hmm. the Fab Five and that time when four of them were starting and he wasn't. How do you think that time was for Ray? Because I think it could either be good for him, chip on your shoulder, bulletin board fuel or it could just be soul crushing demoralizing like like losing love of sport kind of thing which way would that be for you personally and how do you think he handled the situation well i mean i think he handled it phenomenally i think that you know he just had to trust in steve fisher and the system and his guys to kind of get in that position to where he would start but i think he made a phenomenal point in the beginning of the documentary when he was saying that you know in texas i was the guy and that's all these guys were even steve fisher said it early on in the documentary Every single player on a Division One roster like Michigan is going to be a Mr. Basketball-type player. And it's that type of thing that kind of throws you off if you're Ray Jackson. But also what I thought was kind of comical was you're looking at, you know, they have the they have the one, they have the four, they have the six recruit, they have all these top 55 recruits. And you're looking at them and you're saying, Duke had a better team with R.J. Barrett, with Zion Williamson, with all these, with, with, uh, with Cam Reddish. I can't forget Cam Reddish. He's my man. But um, he's... It, it, that type of environment where you know you're going to be there's going to be an odd one out there's going to be a couple one a couple odd ones out in this case in the fab five that's something that i think they had to swallow and i think that further than that i think looking back on it they're happy that they're happy that it happened they're happy that they were part of something that really changed the landscape of college basketball and like you said san diego state's in the final four i mean we're still feeling the effects of the uh, of the Fab Five in this Final Four right now. Yeah, I think that's. A, I think you're leading into a good point there, talking about how they said a lot of what people thought was that Coach Fisher and just everyone in that coaching staff was basically just telling them to roll no. out the ball. But in reality, the sets were quite intricate, and yeah. the system they ran was very disciplined. Yeah. And the effects of that system and of those sets are literally being played in the Final Four tomorrow. Yeah, you don't you you don't go you know toe to toe with Duke with Christian Leitner, Coach K, and Bobby Hurley 
with just rolling the ball up in October ball. of the first year. Yeah. Like let's like let's give him or some November, credit. December, whatever it was in the beginning at home. They almost won that. And game. also, there's only one ball too. We have to remember that. Yeah. There's one ball. This is an incredibly talented team. Everybody that wasn't was a problem though, because almost isolation wasn't even the way of the game. It was ball movement. No, that's what, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. so you got we got to give uh, credit to the Michigan coaching staff for making that happen. And one more thing before we're, uh, we're gonna kind of end our podcast here on this uh, wonderful Friday. Um, we're going to go through, because obviously we have to touch on the end here with Chris Webber against my beloved Tar Heels, just seemingly making one of the biggest errors in the history of the sport, calling a timeout when they didn't have them left. They receive a technical, and then UNC receives free throws, and the game just seemingly seems to be over from there. Um, and I just wanted to ask you guys, and I'll give you mine first, but what's your favorite sports blunder? So, like, this is maybe the most famous and most uh, with the most mystique and most infamous, but I want to tell you guys just what's your favorite, and I'll go through mine first. So mine is uh, a younger version of me was at home one day and uh, watching his beloved Nets who gave him hope but for seemingly no reason, and I watched as Brandon Knight. The game is tied. He makes a steal. It's, it's a fast break. The game is over. The Bucks are going to leave Brooklyn with a win. I am distraught in my living room. And as he goes up for the layup, it goes in, it goes out. And I am in, I, I am, I am in a blissful state unlike any other. Just about how silly and amazing that moment was for me. And also, I bring this up, not just because of how silly it was and because it's a Nets thing and everything like that, because I'm assuming, I'm assuming that's what you guys think I'm bringing this up for. It's no, not. No, I'm no. bringing this up for justice for Brandon Knight because he always receives so much hate for this moment when in actuality he hit the game winner in overtime and won the Bucks the game at the end. Yeah, and no one ever shows that after the missed layup. Yeah, because the missed layup is hilarious. Of course. But he won them the game. Like, don't act like Brand- don't he was He was a that. bucket, and he was not an idiot, as he is portrayed from that clip. The fans That's are all meant I'm to saying. bring people down. We're meant to bring people down. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do with Brandon Knight. On that note, what is yours? You know what? I'm a baseball is back. I'm a huge baseball fan, as I think the listeners will get to know. I'm a huge Yankee fan, and you know I do have a, a soft spot for the Cubs, especially with now with Anthony Rizzo in the Bronx, and you know he's one of my favorite players. But uh, I have to go with the Steve Bartman moment, and you know that's just a moment that it wasn't really a blunder on any sports kind of uh, calibration, but at the same time, that moment with him with his headphones on, Cubs fans literally drooling to kill him. I mean. It, it embodies everything about baseball, about how it was America's pastime. It was rooted back in it, before the 1900s. I mean, as a history major, it's all there for me. I, you know, I love it. Uh, I, I smile every. I smile out of sadness and out of you know slight amusement every single time I see it. And uh, you know, shout out Steve Bartman. He actually got a ring, which I love the Cubs for even more. I, I, I really do. I think the Cubs are a brilliant, brilliantly run organization. So David Ross has come on the pod. The manager of the Cubs come on the pod, bro. But you know, other than that, um, we could all listen to Pearl Jam together and yeah, like hang out. Yeah, we could. Yeah, the, let's shoot the breeze down in the Chicago suburbs. But me, uh, you, David, Will, David Ross, Eddie Vedder, Joe Buck. We should have a good time. Don't forget Andrew. Don't forget. Oh, Andrew. oh, of course. No, but Andrew's gonna be like in the like he'll be in there like assessing <laughs> yeah. the temperature and the environment. Yeah. No, Andrew, like, he's gonna be, be doing speak. what he's doing now, but yeah. like in real life. Yeah, he'll be like, hey, guys, can you uh, do a yeah, quick yeah, yeah. mic check for me, please? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but uh, shout out to <coughs> Andrew. Andrew, come on the pod. And a true, oh, yeah, Andrew, come on the pod. And a true child of 30 for 30 education, Catching Fire, another fantastic 30 for yeah, 30. Yeah, it is. About, we should do that. Which one is that? We'll get to it. 
I, I and I have the Cubs hat ready. Like I, we, we should, we, we should. I, we, what is it oh, called? Oh yeah, Pierce? that's a Steve catching Barber. fire, catching, catching hell, catching hell, catching hell. That's catching a, and hell. first of all, that's a phenomenal thirty for thirty name. Yeah, it is. And speaking of you phenomenal, this guy's phenomenal. Will, what's your blunder? Ninety-four year old. I got three. I'm going across all three, three sports. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, well, he's he's lived a long life. I have a long life. I have much longer than you. You're 104 years old. No, he's 352. I, I it's funny because I've actually he's seen all three of these happen in, in live. Real, live. Yeah. Well, so really? you've been yeah. alive. No, it's forever. I mean it's very easy to because they're all pretty. So, uh, I'll just start. J.R. Smith, <laughs> 1973 World Series. J.R. Smith, uh, NBA Finals. Oh, uh, LeBron has 49 points in regulation. It's a really good one. J.R. Smith decides to rebound the ball and just you know dribble it out down, Insane. and they and they lose. And then I, I'm not sure exactly what year that was, but I think it was 18. 18, so they lost. Yeah, so that was against lost. the 73 9 Warriors. The first year of the Nike no, no, jerseys. No, 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 that wasn't that one. That was the, that was against the first. It was year KD. the second KD, KD right. second KD, second KD, year. Second KD year. right? Because 2019 was the Toronto. Um, yes, right, it was. Right, right, right. My second one is first Nike year. My my second one is pretty uh, self-explanatory. Why I saw it. Uh, fly ball pop up. Alex Rodriguez mm. going to shortstop. Hmm. Luis Castillo is playing the ball a little back at hmm. at second base. Excuse me. Um, you know, easy out. Just put to to put the Yankees uh, seemingly so to put the yeah seemingly seemingly so it goes the ball goes up about nine million feet and Luis Castillo's right under it he calls out he goes I got it pops into his glove pops out and it's just maybe one of the funniest moments of New York sports in my generation go Yankees because, yeah go Yankees right yeah. well no, good. We're good. and Andrew, I'm not Andrew, sure what do you like Yankee fan he's a Yankee fan. Andrew's doing sign language. Big Yankee Andrew's guy. Like, I'm he's a said big Yankee guy. He's a big Yankee guy. Okay. Whoa. Um, <laughs> okay. Whoa. Shout out, Mr. Evermay, Andrew Canary. Anyway. And my last one. Sorry. Go on. Uh, this is in div- in my division. He doesn't need strays back there. It's ridiculous. <laughs> this, this is in my division, so I watched it. Uh, Eagles, Dallas, about 10 years ago or Ooh. so. Deshaun Jackson uh, catches a throw by Donovan McNabb, about 65 yards. And he's <laughs> running. He's chugging. He's celebrating like he always does. And he drops the ball right before he enters the end zone. Luckily, they score the next play. They slam it in on the one-yard line, but they ended up losing that game. So, those are my three. I kind of like covered all the sports, and I've seen all of them. I so appreciate I feel like your really effort. Good, right? I really, yeah. I really are, appreciate. Are you it. a Giants fan? Yes. Okay, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were a Cowboys fan for a second. No, I was no, literally no. about to. No, it's in the division, dude. I was about to throw this chair at you. No, no, no. I'm not. I mean, why would you be mad? That would have been violent. You'd be um, like, oh, you're doing it to yourself. Well, I know that you're. You know, it's um. You know, you're 400 years old. I, yeah, that's true. No, it gets 300 years old. Yeah. Okay. You guys are weird. You, <laughs> dude. He made the first football. You are kind of dating yourself with that A Rod play, though, because I was definitely not of the age where I would. Remember I know. I happening. was probably eight years old. Yeah, so, I was like four. Yeah, like what about the A Rod play that he, when he smacked the ball out of? Uh, That's another good which one. one too. What's his name play? He ran. He was running to first. The Red Sox game, right? Yeah, yeah. He euro stepped into the base, <laughs> in oh. the grass, and, and hit. Like hit the ball. That's out a of, blunder because he, he got called out. Yeah, he called didn't out. get called out because the Red Sox players were like, "What are you like, doing?" That cannot <laughs> be allowed. Yeah, that cannot be allowed. But that's that's an I man. Shout out A Rod, come on the pod, bro. And uh, speaking of cheating, Fab Five, <laughs> yeah. one of the most. <laughs> 
you know, shout out to prolific treaters. Yeah. Shout out to steroids. Yeah. Shout out. Um, and on that note, uh, it's yeah. been a wonderful week. Uh, the Final Four has been an absolute treat. Uh, kind of this build up, and all these four teams are going to be really exciting to watch. The tournament's been absolutely great. Um, come listen on Storm set uh, on Storm the Court uh, Storm session. That might be the that might be the crossover episode. Um, but Storm the Court, we put out some great episodes recently, recapping the tournament. It's been really fantastic. Uh, thank you for listening as always, and uh, have a great day. Go Huskies. God bless.